Hello and welcome to the Bold Believer Podcast, a podcast focusing on apologetics and faith-based questions and answers, diving deep into the historical evidence for the Christian faith, truths founded in Scripture, and how it plays out in the world we live in today. And now, here is your host, Josh Snyder. Hey, hey, hello. This is Josh Snyder coming at you live from the Bold Believer Studio once again. I appreciate you tuning in, and I hope that uh, today's little uh, lesson, one that goes through our line of faith defense, will be of help to you and your faith. Uh, before we get into that and much more, let's uh, cap a few things off here at the beginning, including the best part, you know it, and you love it, the Bold Joke, joke of the Day. day. Today's bold joke comes from the exponentially bad dad joke book. Uh, As I've said before, I received it for Christmas, and you'll probably hear from it for years to come. Today's joke, well, it goes like this. What do you call a person with no body, and he's also missing his nose? Well, nobody knows. Okay, okay. All right, that was horrible. I feel like I should give you one just to make up for how bad that one was. Uh, But I won't because that's just the nature of dad jokes. Come back again next week for another bold joke of the day and share that one with with your family and make the world a happier place, all right? I want to thank everybody who has listened, who's tuned in. We've gotten uh, hundreds of listens so far and just starting this thing off and organically pushing it through our social media platforms and probably finding it in the searching engine uh, once in a while when searching up podcasts of this nature. I appreciate you tuning in and joining us. I I would challenge you, if you haven't done so already, to help give us a leg up as we are moving forward by sharing this podcast. If you find some help in it and going, leaving us a five-star review in wherever you get your podcasts, namely and especially when it comes to places like Apple Podcasts and uh, subscribe on Spotify. All those little areas are free ways to help us out as we desire to grow and uh, help you grow in your faith. We're all in the process, right? We're all in this together, and we'd love to to be of an encouragement and fortification to your faith through the Bold Believer podcast every single week as we release a new episode, Lord willing, every Wednesday morning. And uh, so I thank you for being a part of that. But as we jump right in here today, let's dive back into this topic that I started this last week and at least gave you an outline of what essentially apologetics is. If you haven't listened to that episode yet and you have no idea what it means When I say the word apologetics, please go back and listen to that episode. I not only give you some details on what apologetics are, but what they're used for, how we can effectively use apologetics in our lives, and the balance between apologetics and sharing the gospel. This week we're going to jump into some misconceptions about the Christian faith. And one of my favorite ones we're going to be reviewing here today is found in Josh and Sean McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Again, we will be using this book as sort of a textbook outline to help keep us on track, to provide some solid feedback because these men have done some amazing research paired along with what I uh, have done in the research and the things that I've come to learn and know over the years. And uh, so without further ado, let's, let's get right in and let me s- jump straight to the book here to start us off. One of the most common misconceptions or questions that we as Christians can receive is how can you say that Jesus is the only way to God, or that your religion is the right religion? In a world with millions of different belief systems and faiths, or lack thereof, 
what makes yours right. The complaint is clear. It is intolerant, exclusivist, and naive to assume that there is only one religion that could be correct. At least that is the assumption of many critics and skeptics. Sean McDowell wrote in his book that he was in a conversation with a friend, and he asked, how could I say that Jesus is the only way? Sean said he went on to say, I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. Take it up with him. He certainly didn't expect that response, and I didn't mean to be rude, as Josh goes on to reply, or abrupt. My point was that Jesus was the one who first made that claim, and he has the credentials to back it up. If our claims about Jesus in this book or in this podcast, as Josh Schneider speaking here, are true, then Jesus has more credentials to speak on eternal life than anyone. He is the only virgin-born, miracle-working, sinless, resurrected Son of God. You may not like the idea of Jesus being the only way, but if he truly is the Son of God and said he was the only way to salvation, can you afford to ignore this truth claim? You know, it would be nice if everybody could be right, at least in first glance, but a simple reason and basic common sense tell us all religions cannot be true in their core beliefs. By its very nature, truth is exclusive truth is exclusive. If 1 plus 1 equals 2, then it doesn't equal 3, 4, 5, and every other number. All religions could possibly be wrong, but it is logically impossible for all of them to be right when their claims differ so radically. For example, if I was going out and I got contracted to build a deck, and I brought in some subcontractors, and as we were building this deck, each of us had a method in which we used to measure for cut marks and the boards and stuff like that, and none of us agreed completely in which method to use, and so we decided, well, we will continue to build this deck in our own way, and as we do, I'm sure it'll work itself out. Over some time, possibly very little time, we would see that there is confusion, contradiction, and it will not work. And so if anybody stands up and says, well, I think all religions are true, that is logically impossible. Don't beat them in the face like that and, and tell them that they're saying an impossibility and, and that they're stupid or something like that. But, but it is logically impossible to have a bunch of truth claims that differ and all of them be true. Either they are all wrong or only one is right. All of the ones that make major truth claims that differ, they're either all wrong or one is right. A chart that I'm looking over here on the basic belief of major religions, I wish you could see it, but even by their own claims, they differ from one another. Having their own specific ideas of who God is or is not, and how salvation may be attained. If you Google basic beliefs of major religions, you'll find this chart pop up likely at the very top. We're going to reference to it here in just a moment, and I'm going to lay out some basic beliefs of those religions, the major basic beliefs of those religions. Many criticize Christianity for its exclusivity, but Christians are not the only group claiming to have the truth. This chart in which I'll be referencing to lists out five of the major world religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and we're going to look at their beliefs about God, their beliefs about salvation or eternal life or gaining what's next, and then finally their beliefs about other religions and how they differ from one another. So, number one, we're going to look at uh, Buddhism. Its belief about God is that there is no God. In Hinduism, they believe that there are many gods. Islam believes that there is a Unitarian God. Uh, Judaism is Unitarian as well. And Christianity is Trinitarian, which believes in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each belief about God is different. 
Next, we see that the beliefs about salvation all differ as well. Buddhism believes in enlightenment. You must be enlightened. You must get to that point in which you've done enough good works and served enough people and shrieked off the cares of this world so that you might be enlightened. Hinduism believes in reincarnation. Uh, depending on how good you were in this life, that'll show whether or not you can come back as something good or bad or something uh, brilliantly awesome or simply base. If you're really bad in this life, you might come back as a spider or a pig or something like that. Uh, anyway, Islam's belief about salvation is that you need to walk the five pillars which is essentially steps that you must keep and fulfill, different things that you need to do to gain eternal life. So essentially it's a works-based salvation. And then even then, all of these major world religions will never step back and say that you can know that you have eternal life outside of Christianity, that you can know that you have access to heaven. Even in Islam, if you walk the five pillars, even the best of Islamic people will stand up and say, I am not totally sure, or I hope, that Allah will let me into heaven. Judaism and its belief about salvation is that you need to follow the law, the Levitical code, the commandments found in the Old Testament scripture in our Bible. And finally, Christianity believes that you are saved by grace through faith alone and what Christ did on the cross for us. Not of anything that we've done, but it was all on what he did, and now we need to accept it. Each of these beliefs about salvation differ. And then finally, their belief about other religions. Buddhism believes other religions outside of itself are false. Hinduism believes all religions are true, but there is a clause to that. We'll get to that here in a second. Islam believes that all religions are false outside of itself. Judaism, as well, believes all other religions are false outside of itself. And Christianity believes all religions outside of it are false. Each of these have certain truth claims. And coming back to Hinduism, who believe that all religions are true, quote-unquote, Hindus do not often claim exclusivity. In fact, many are happy to say that Christianity is true. But the key is what they mean by it. Hindus believe that all religions are true when they are subsumed within the Hindu system. In other words, Christianity is one medium by which people can experience reincarnation. But what Hindus don't mean is that Christianity is true on its own terms. So like the adherence to all other religions, Hindus actually believe Christianity is false, at least within itself. You, oh yeah, you can serve Jesus as long as you follow these steps to be reincarnated someday, as long as you basically subsume or combine your belief system with our belief system, yeah, you can keep your belief system. And so it has its own truth claims. No matter how much Hindus want to stand up and say, well, yeah, everyone's right. Uh, nobody's wrong. It has a truth claim. And yet Christianity is not exclusive at all, at least in, a, in another sense. I say, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. It is the most inclusive religion. Christ invites all to himself. Unlike Mithraism, which apparently excluded women at one point, or Mormonism, which formally excluded black people from the priesthood and believed that they were a fallen race of angels that were essentially bad in heaven, and so they were born and cursed with black skin. After much time of believing this, they had elders come out and basically renounce this belief, and uh, rightfully so. But the message of Jesus has always been for everyone always from the beginning of time that doesn't mean christians themselves have made it out to be that way and there aren't people out there blaspheming or taking god's name and running it through a gutter but the message of jesus what he said the things that he taught on it's always been for everyone we see that the message of salvation by grace alone through faith in what jesus did has been for everyone colossians 3:11 states where there is neither greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, 
but Christ is all and in all. Christ is Lord of all. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, who your parents are, uh, what kind of background you have, what kind of lifestyle you've lived in the past. God desires to connect with you in a personal way and be your Lord. Salvation by grace through faith is free, and it's free for all. Christ said, I called all to repentance. My desire is that no one, no one perishes. Sadly, he knows, and we all know, that there will be people who, no matter how much evidence or reason you bring up, they will reject this truth until the day they die. Christ makes no human distinctions. He died and rose again so that all people could have a personal relationship with a living God. That is why we were created. That is why in the beginning God made Adam and Eve. He desired a personal, close relationship with a being that could choose to accept and choose to worship and choose to adore him for who he is. And we we chose to do otherwise. And we've reaped the consequences since. As philosopher Stephen Davis explains, the resurrection of Jesus then is God's decisive proof that Jesus is not just a great religious teacher among all of the great religious teachers in history. I mean, consider this. Jesus could have been just like Muhammad or could have been just like Krishna or could have been like fill in the blank. Some of the great, renowned, iconic people and teachers of the past. He could have been like all of these people who claim to have some sort of either deity or power or known access to God. Then died a death that everyone else died and their bones are still over there. Their bones are still in the ground. They did not rise. But Christ, if he rose, brings some decisive, some very specific and concentrated proof that he is who he said he was. The resurrection is God's way of pointing to Jesus and saying that he is the one in whom you are to believe in. He is your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. And someday, even if your knee does not bow on this side, there will come a time when every knee will bow, as Scripture says. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather bend my knee willingly now before an almighty God who is worthy of our praise and worthy of our adoration and worthy of living for, opposed to waiting until it is too late. And having to, out of the sheer might of who he is, bow down and profess him as Lord, before being separated from him because I did not accept the payment for my sin, that sin which separates me from living in God's presence. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrated the truth of what God the Father had said about Jesus at his baptism when he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. If you are an honest inquirer into the truth of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus is a great place to begin. And we're going to kick off the resurrection series this next week. I believe it will be this next week at least. And hopefully Isaac Danford will be back. As I stated this last week, he is at a funeral and is out for the time being. Well, you might hear all this and you might step back and say, well, that's all well and nice comparing all the religions, but even if Christianity was unique in such ways that you state, what makes it true? What makes it even verifiable? What if somebody in some monastery some 150, 300, 400 years ago wrote some things down, put it into a book, and acted like it was old, and started spreading it around and saying this is the word of God, and acting like there was a bunch of prophecies about a man who may have lived 2,000 years ago, named Jesus, and who was said to have been the Christ, and, and the miracles circulated out of mere fables that were told about him and legend. 
how do we know that Christianity itself and its basic claims or its basic beliefs are true? I believe Christian Christianity, first and foremost, is a historical faith. It is verifiable in history. Christianity appeals to history. It appeals to facts of history that can be examined through the normal means of historicity. We can look, if you intently want to know the truth, you can find it. There are people who have done the research for me, so I didn't have to go and spend countless, countless hours digging through hieroglyphs and and old manuscripts and things like that. But there are people who have stepped back even to disprove the Christian faith, as Josh McDowell, the author of Evidence That Demands a Verdict, tried. Stepped out trying to disprove this faith, like Lee Strobel did, and came out on the other end of it after doing the research, pulling out the articles, pulling up the old manuscripts and things like that, and finding that it was verifiable and had to be true. But Christianity appeals to history. Luke, the first century historian, demonstrates his historical nature of Christianity when he stated in Luke 1.4 that thou might knowest the certainty of those things which thou hast been instructed. Luke was a proponent of detail and insightful and historical accuracy. And we see as we look through history and use standards in which we use to weigh historicity of events, whether or not Abe Lincoln lived, for example, or whether or not this war happened, we can use the same principles to decide whether or not these people lived, if Jesus walked the earth, if these people really did write these things down in a book at the time in which they wrote it down, and all of these other things. Man, I just mentioned a bunch of stuff, and each of them probably could be their own episode. Uh, but among these historical and knowable events was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, we'll go into some details a bit more about that this next week. But that event, and it was an event that Luke says was validated by Jesus himself through many proofs or many evidences over a 40-day period before numerous witnesses and upwards to 500 witnesses at one time. You'll find that uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Like the Gospels, Acts records history. Concerning the genre of Acts, New Testament scholar Craig Keener observes Acts is history, probably apologetic history in the form of a historical monograph with a narrow focus on the expansion of the gospel message from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Luke's approach focuses primarily on characters and their deeds and speeches, as was common in the history of his day. We hope then to present the historical facts here at the Bold Believer Studio, Josh McDowell, Sean McDowell, through their book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which we'll use for our outline of sorts throughout the podcast, we hope to present the historical facts surrounding the Christian faith and to determine whether the Christian interpretation is the most reasonable. Because that's truly what it should come down to. If truly not all of this in this world could have accidentally blown into existence some million, billion, whatever it's up to now, years ago, and worked its way up to the way in which we can now sustain living and survive and the way in which we do... Uh, again, that's another episode for another time. If we can look at this world, though, and understand that there's got to be more, then we need to be able to come down to the idea of which one is the most reasonable, which belief system is the most reasonable. Some might add, again, all of them aren't true, or maybe we don't even know. And I think in most cases that is a cop-out answer because one doesn't want to look and to try to seek for the truth, knowing that it could lead them somewhere where they 
will have to make some changes in their life, and that is an uncomfortable thought for most people. Make no mistake, the historical facts matter for Christianity. The Christian faith is an objective faith. Therefore, it must have an object that is worthy of faith. Salvation comes not from the strength of our beliefs, but from the object of our beliefs. Yes, salvation comes through faith, or by grace through faith. Ephesians 2.8.9, John 6.29. But the merit of faith depends upon the object beloved. Your faith is not in faith itself. Oh, I just have faith because faith sounds nice, or I have faith that something more is going to happen. No, your faith has to be in an object. Let me illustrate it like this. Once Josh McDowell observed the head of the philosophy department at the Midwestern University. In answering a question, he happened to mention the importance of the resurrection. And at that point, his opponent interrupted and rather sarcastically said, Come on, McDowell. The key issue is not whether the resurrection took place or not. The key issue is this. Do you believe it took place? Do you believe it took place? He was hinting at, even boldly asserting, that my believing was the most important thing. I reported immediately, it does matter whether the resurrection took place. Because the value of Christian faith is not in one believing, but in the one who has believed in its object. We believe in Christ as Lord. We believe that his sacrifice on the cross and then the rising again from the dead paid the price for our sins. We don't believe just to believe. This faith is not in thin air. Josh continues in this discussion. If anyone can demonstrate to me that Christ was not raised from the dead, I will not have a justifiable right to my Christian faith. As Paul asserts in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 and 17, we are believing in vain if we do not have a risen Savior because even if he could orchestrate his death, could not orchestrate the resurrection, he said he would rise too. And if that was the case, then he is a liar and not to be trusted. And this is just another religion or religious claim among millions, and it is not true. The Christian must avoid the attitude, don't confuse me with the facts, my mind is made up. For Christians, the historical evidence reported in scriptures are essential. That is why Paul said, If Christ had not been risen, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. Again, that's found in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14. So I believe that Christianity is not only a claim among many claims. I believe it is not only a testable faith, which we might be able to talk more about what I mean by that in future episodes because of time, but we not only see that it is a historical faith, that it can be tried to the test of history and come out true. We see that it is an exclusive faith, and it makes a certain claim that no other religious worldview will make. And understand this, no other religious worldview, even some people who claim to be Christians make this, and that is the idea that we can attain salvation by something we do. Christianity at its core does not assert that we can gain access to the Father because of things that we do. Some people might step back and say, well, what a, wait a minute, I prayed a prayer. I, I, I'm the one that reached out in faith to God. And I would say yes, but that faith, that faith that is counted to you for righteousness, that faith that you trusted God with, is a faith that came only because the Holy Spirit gave you the ability to have that faith. And I believe, and hear me out, again, I'm not saying that I believe that there is a certain amount of people that can only get saved and there's a certain amount of people that cannot get saved. I believe that God calls all to repentance. God in flesh 
desires at all would come to repentance. And so at some point in your life, at some point in my life, there is a call of the Holy Spirit. And at some point in every person's life who is uh, cognitively living on this side, there will be a call to repentance or to reach and to search for God and the truth. And that access will be available And if we don't respond to it, it is not God's fault that we did not receive that gift of salvation when we stand before him on judgment day, if we refuse. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And hear me as I close this down. If you don't look back to a time or a day when you made Christ your Lord, when you allowed him to be your Lord, again, he's everyone's Lord, like... Everyone's going to confess him as Lord someday, but if you haven't taken the time to make it personal to you on this side before it is too late, I want to urge you, I want to challenge you to do so right now. Maybe this is the call that the Holy Spirit is using to lead you to that point in accepting what he did. If so, if this is you on the other end, unsure of your salvation or unsure of your eternal destination, you can be sure today, and it's simple. At least accepting the payment for salvation is simple. I'm not saying the Christian life is the most simplest that we could live. It is abundant. It's an amazing place to be, but it is not the most simplest. But salvation itself amongst all religions is the simplest, easiest, and freest, because it is free, (laughs) to receive. And this is what you need to do. From your heart, from your inner person, you need to pray and confess Christ as Lord. In faith... Reach out and say, I accept what you did on the cross. I accept that you rose again, proving that you were God over sin and death, paying the price for my sin in full, and I want you to be my Lord. And from that moment on, when you reach out in faith, not not just saying some words and repeating after me kind of thing, but in faith, meaning those words that are said or made known in your mind, when you confess him as Lord, at that moment, you will be saved, Scripture says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that is an assignment. We are, once you are under the Lord, because you called upon him as your Lord, you will be saved, or thou shalt be saved, as, as a good old King James says. We can know our eternal destination. So let me ask you and challenge you. Do you know where your eternal destination is? If not, rewind it back. Listen to some of that guidance. I, I, I'm telling you. It is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no better place to be than walking with God on a personal level. I am a living testimony to that. I'm not saying that I'm some amazing person. The only thing that is amazing about me and about any other Christian or child of God is that they have God living in them. That is an amazing thing. And when God lives in us, what God can do through us is limitless. So it's an amazing place to be. Trust Him. Cling to Him. Share your faith. I appreciate you joining me for this episode of The Bold Believer and taking the time to primarily examine uh, over the major world religions, their key beliefs, and the fact that there could not be truth or the truth or the way found in every single religion out there. Either they're all wrong or one of them is right. And I assert to you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Not because he did miracles, though that was a very good proof. Not because he said he was the way, the truth, and the life, though... That means something. Not because he was born in a miraculous way and foretold and all of this other stuff, but capstoning it all, and what you'll have to come back for next week, because he rose from the dead, because he died for the sin of the world, said he would rise and did so, and proved it to his disciples and hundreds of other people 
while he was on this earth before ascending back to the Father where he now sits on his right hand. We can walk in freedom. We can walk in confidence in our faith, knowing that it is a verifiable faith. Even though there are some things that we may not understand, I I challenge you to continue to learn and explore what you believe and why. Come back next week for another episode of the Bold Believer podcast. Please share the podcast if you find some encouragement and help in it. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get it. I love y'all. I hope you have an amazing week. I'll talk at you next week. Oh, and remember, be a bold believer. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Be sure to give us a rating and follow us for more Christ-centered content as we learn and grow together wherever you get your podcasts. Now, go out and be a bold believer.